That's a welcome. That you're glad that you're here today. And Tom, if you'll bring my table out, I'll be happy to have it, okay? <laughs> Waiting on that. There you go, sir. Thank you. Thanks for serving. Thank you, uh, Olivia, for singing. You know, she went to Mexico with our student ministry and just got back last Saturday, and she was willing to jump in and sing that song um, because it fits so well as we introduce our series today about being fully known and fully loved. It's just a wonderful place that we can be. Uh, that last line, though, it's frightening. It's frightening to be fully known, right? Because, I mean, I'm just thinking about that. It's, just, it's hard to really think that I want to be fully known by God. It's frightening to think about that he would know everything about me. And even though I know he does, I still want to think sometimes I can control that. And so it's a kind of a scary place to be, but yet, as I'm going to share in just a little while, it's the only place we can be. It's coming to a place where we will come out of hiding with God, and the only way we can really ever be truly known and loved by others is if we come out of hiding with them as well. So that's what we're going to be looking at in this series several times, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to grab your message notes. Uh, they look like this, and they'll be helpful today. All the Bible verses I'm going to be using will be there. You can take notes, maybe some things you might want to remember later on that God brings to mind, even different than what I might say as we're going through our time. You have your Bible open to John 13, and so that's where we'll be for the biggest part of our time together today is John 13. If you don't own a Bible, I want to give you one, and so you still go right out here. There's some bookshelves, and you can grab a Bible off of there, and it would be our gift to you today if you were to take that. So former Surgeon General of the United States, Vivek Murthy, he wrote an article for the Harvard Business Review, and it was titled this, Work and the Loneliness Epidemic. He said this, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. He went on to say that our society is experiencing an, a loneliness epidemic, 40% of Americans say they feel lonely, but experts believe that number is actually higher because people are just reluctant to admit and to say, I feel lonely. Loneliness has reached such an epidemic proportions that in the UK, British Prime Minister Theresa May has literally appointed a minister for loneliness to her cabinet to help her nation to fight off loneliness. Experts say that even with all the ways that we've developed to stay connected, even with our growing population of people around the globe, everything that we've looked to that we would say that would cause us to stay connected, that even though we are more connected to others than ever, we are lonely than ever. We have an epidemic of loneliness in our land, and I'll just say it this way, that's not the way God designed it to be. That's not God's plan. That's not his design. He designed us to be connected in relationship with him and with one another. So with him and then with one another as well. And he designed his church as the place where people would come, where they could enter in, where they could know that this is a safe place where I can be real and I can let down my guard and I can let others know me and then I can be known so that I can love and be loved. Yet oftentimes, the church, the place God designed to be a safe spot, designed for relationships to flourish, actually doesn't accomplish the role that God gave it to fulfill. 
people come to the church and they find that it's just as dysfunctional as their world as they enter in. Dysfunctional as their workplace or their family. They find that people at church pretend just like people in their world pretend. Put on masks to be something that they're not. Act like everything is better than it really is. They come and find people that are, I use this term, glad hand friendly. Glad hand friendly, eager to say hello, but not so eager to open up the circle so someone else can get in. They come and they discover that there's just as much gossip, unresolved conflict, cliquishness, hurt, and hiding as they are experiencing outside the church. And what happens is, is the place that they hoped would have the answer for their loneliness makes them feel lonely, lonelier than before they came, because the church might have been their last hope. So I just want to acknowledge today right up front that just like any church, our church is not perfect. Our church is dysfunctional in lots of ways because it's led by you know, normal, dysfunctional, imperfect people. And I say is we're not as good. And, and so I've been challenged by this lately, and we're not as good at welcoming people as we say we are, as we tell people we are and what they can experience. We're not as good as God wants us to be. And so this series came out of our series on why we do that. And we talked about all the why we do the things that we do in these walls, and we talked about the fact that there's... God brings us together so that we can know and know others and that we can then be loved by them and we can have relationships and we can be fulfilled in that. And then what happens is, is that if we have those kinds of relationships that we become so irresistible that people who don't go here would say, I don't know what you got, but I want it. I want to experience that. It comes out of that series. And this is, I was feeling God's pull as we were going through that series that we needed to talk more about this, that this is a topic that he wants us to put onto the table, to uncover and to be honest about our church. So that's what we're going to do in this series is we're going to talk about how we can become a better place where it's more, it's easier for each one of us to have a place where I can know and be known and to love and be loved at the same time. One of the reasons that people face loneliness is simply they lack relational skills. Where do we go to learn relational skills in our culture? We learn them by watching them from you know, the, the media and the things that we see there. That's not a very good place, right? If I want to learn how to yell at somebody, that's a great place, uh, but it's not where you can learn good relational skills. Or we learn them through the, you know, the playground. We learn them through relationships. We learn them through our home. And then we just go out and re reenact the things that we saw there. We never really learn. So in this series, another thing that we're going to do is we're going to learn relational skills. We're going to talk about how we can relate to one another. And we're going to talk today about how we would develop love, how we can create a place, a space, where we can all know and be known, where we can love and be loved. So I'm going to give you just a sneak peek. This is where we're going to be going. In the New Testament, 59 different times, two words are put together with an action. And the two words are one another. One another. And those two words are used to talk about the church and how people at the church would relate to one another. And there's 59 different occasions where one another is linked to a verb, an action statement to say, here's what you do 
when you're with one another. And we're going to take 10 of those, and we're going to talk about them. We're going to ask God to help us to become better at 10 of those. Now, there's not 59 individual ones. Actually, the one we're looking at today, which is love one another, is used a lot. And so it's one of the 59 that will be included there. But we're going to look at those in these series. We're going to talk about them, and we're going to talk about how vitally important it is to us and for those who are seeking a place where they can know and be known that we get this right. Or how about just saying we get better at this because we'll never be perfect. So John read these verses to us earlier from John 12, 5. It says this, we are many parts of one body, so we're coming together. We're coming, this is talking to the church. These are those who are in Christ. This would be us as our church. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. You know, some people are asking me, my wife's gone uh, to uh, give her mother a dream trip, uh, and they are having the time of their lives uh, going to Mississippi and to where her mother grew up and where Kim went every summer for, to be with grandma. And so they've been there. They've been reliving the whole thing. But they've been asking me, how am I doing with Kim gone? And I'm going, she's gone? <laughs> I don't mean that the way it sounds. Oh, I love my wife. But I am very independent. <laughs> I am extremely self-reliant. And so uh, what I do is I carry that into all my relationships, this sense of independence and this sense of self-reliance. And so what we're going to talk about in this series, and that's actually um, an American cultural ideal, is individualism. Nobody tells me what to do. And self-reliance, I can do anything I put my mind to. But you know what? Those kinds of thoughts keep us from being in relationship with each other. We belong to each other. Would you turn to your neighbor right now and say that? I belong to you. No kissing. Okay. I belong to you. <laughs> Some of you might want to move and change the chairs, right? <laughs> oh, Dallas Willard said this. This is in his book, Life Without Lack, that we looked at when we talked about the goodness of God as we went through Psalm 23. He says, the greatest thing, the greatest thing you and I can imagine is the fellowship of other loving persons, to be loved and be loved, and to be known and to know, and I added to be known, in parentheses, to enjoy, to be with. He says, the, he says, the greatest thing you can imagine. Tim Keller, and I used this quote when we were in our series this January, is from the meaning of marriage. He says this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. To be, to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. More than anything. It liberates us from pretense, it humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw our way. So I want to read a verse to you. It's on your notes there from 1 Corinthians 8, verses 2 through 3. And so Paul is writing here, and uh, he's talking about the fact that we have to learn to know God so that we can then learn to know others, but we have to first be known by God. And that's what he says. He says, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So Paul is indicating here that being known by God 
is a signpost that we love him. So we have to enter into relationship with him. We have to open ourselves up. We have to take off our masks with God. And that's the only way that we can truly be known by God. Now, God knows everything. Okay, don't get... He knows everything. But as long as we're holding something back, we're not letting God have all that we are. And he wants to invite us to open up all that we are. And that's the only way we're going to be fully known by him. It's the only way we're going to be able to be fully known by others. That's what David Benner says. One of the books in your pastor's picks that you're going to find if you go to the bookstore today is called The Gift of Being Yourself. And in this book, he talks about this idea that, yes, we want to be open with God and take down our mass with him, and that's how we're fully known to him. But he also says this. He says, it is only through knowing ourselves. So we have to really be honest about who we are. We have to do some self-discovery here that we can make progress in knowing God and being known by him and loving God and being loved by him. So that's what Paul is saying here is that we have to know God, but we, in order to know God, we have to know ourselves. In order to know ourselves, we have to do some soul-searching. We have to do some discovery. Another book, I didn't have time to... There's no way to... I just have so many books in this series. It's, it's just... You go over there, it's just a treasure chest, okay, of books, relational books for this series. One that won't be over there that I wish was is called The Soul of Shame. The Soul of Shame. I've been digging into this um, and have found it to be extremely helpful. Uh, it's technical in some ways, uh, and it, but it's also very helpful. And here's a quote from that. To be fully loved and to fully love requires that we are fully known. Absolute joy comes not in just having some random joyful engagement with something or someone. Rather, absolute joy must eventually include me being known. So we have to come to the place where we can be known by others. And it's only that when we are known and only when we are loved that then we can be in the position to be a conduit to love others. God doesn't love us so that we become containers. He loves us so that we can become conduits, so that others can experience his love. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to just begin our journey, and we're going to begin a journey to create a safe place where everyone can belong because love everyone always is more than just a slogan. It's who we want to be and who we want to become. So we're going to look at these verses from John 13, 33 through 35. And so it just brings up the speed. So we just finished Easter. So we talked about some of the events that were going on here uh, during our Easter season. And so it's the last night before Jesus was going to be, probably one day before he was going to be crucified. And he gathers with his disciples in an upper room and they have the Passover feast. As they're having the Passover feast, uh, he washes their feet. That's part of the story, part of the lesson he wanted to teach them about being open with him and to be, have their feet washed by him. And so he's doing that. They've had the feast. He's had his uh, confrontation, let's call it that, with Judas. Judas has left, and he's gone off to do what Judas needed to do. And so he's gathered there and he knows just within a few hours because of what Judas is going to do, he will be turned over to authorities before the night is over, before the day is over, he'd be crucified on the cross. In these final moments, Jesus talks to them and he really tells them, I think is what is on his mind, on his heart, the deepest thing he wants to say before he goes away. He begins this way with intimacy. My children. Now he wasn't demeaning them when he's called them children. He was being intimate with them. My children, 
He was talking to them as ones that he loved deeply. I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. So Jesus gives this tender and he gives this affectionate word of what was coming. And he tells them exactly what he's expecting them from them after he's gone. He goes on, he says this, a new command I give you. Love one another. That's the one another we're looking at today. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take apart those two verses for just a minute, and I'm going to talk about how you and I can learn to love, how we can learn to love, and then we're going to look at it in a minute as Jesus calls us to love. So this is the most common of the one another's. And when we get this one down, it's kind of like the foundation. So if we don't have this as a foundation, I don't believe we can go on to the other one another's until we truly understand exactly what God is trying to tell us, what Jesus was saying when he says that we would love one another. So let's jump in. Three things. First is this. I learned to be loving by reflecting my relationship with Jesus. By reflecting my relationship with Jesus. So I'll let the cat out of the bag here. How do I reflect my relationship with Jesus? That's the word you guys are going to hate. By being obedient. By being obedient. We hate that word, don't we? Obedient is such a harsh word when we say it, and yet it's all throughout the Bible. So we're called to be obedient. And this is what he says. He says this. He says, A new command I give you, love one another, love one another. Now, when he says a new commandment, is he saying that this is a brand new commandment? I'm creating something from nothing that has never existed before, that this is the idea moment, and now I've made this statement, it's brand spanking new, something that's never existed? Or is it just another way of viewing something that's already been said? It's the latter. It's another way of viewing something that has already been said. He just gives it more specificity, and he calls us into this, and he says this. It's a new commandment. It's just not new that it never existed before, because it has existed before, but I'm saying it in a new way, because this is what God has always wanted from his people, that his people would love one another. And he says this in John 15, 12, just a few I had probably hours after he said this to them. He says, my command, once again, command, That's why the word obedience is so needed here. My command is that you would love each other as I have loved you. So I reflect my relationship to Jesus by being obedient to what Jesus says. Really? Yeah. By being obedient to what he says. I didn't put this verse. You want to write the reference down. John 14, 15. John 14, 15. It's going to be on the screen, though. Jesus says this. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me you will keep my commands. So he says, if you love me, you will obey what I say. So when Jesus says, love one another, it's not just a suggestion. Oh, you might try this. You know what? Here's a list of 10 things that you might want to do to make your relationships better. No, love one another is the foundation. It's it's a command, and he's calling us to obey his command. It's not something we just do when we feel like it. It's something that we do because we're commanded to do. 1 John 4, 7 says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And so my love for one another is proof that I love God. It's proof that I love God. I'm going to get to this later and talk about some of the other ways that we think are proof that we love God, but they really aren't unless I have love for one another. John, 1 John 4 says this, whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. That's pretty bold. 
Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Now, we're not talking family relationships here. We're talking about brother or sister in the kingdom of God. But for some of us, family might be something that we want to think about here. To love my brother and sister. So when I love others as Jesus called me to love them, I'm reflecting my relationship to him. That I have a relationship to him and I'm being obedient to him. Second is this, on the backside of your notes. I learn to be loving by affirming my relationship with Jesus. By affirming my relationship with him. So when I love someone else, it affirms or confirms that I have a relationship with Jesus. It confirms that I know him and that because I know him, you know, especially as we've been through the crucifixion and we've been through Easter, I think that our, our senses ought to be heightened as to how much Jesus loved us when he went to a cross for us and that it's for every person and how as he was raised from the dead, it was for every one of us. And so our understanding of that ought to be at one of the highest places it can be in a year as we come to him. Jesus says it this way. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Darn it. (laughs) Jesus went to the cross to show me how much he loved me. Is that what he's asking me to do? Well, I don't know. But I do know that he's asking us to die to ourselves. And so when it comes to dying to ourselves, I don't know about you, but every time I think of death, I think of pain. And so dying to self means that I'm going to take on some pain. And in order to take on some pain, that means I'm going to need Jesus to help me because he's taken on way more pain than I could ever take on. But in order to be a loving person, I have to be willing to take on some pain. I have to be willing to be inconvenienced. I have to be willing to hurt. And that's what it's talking about here. He tells us what it means to really love one another. So what Jesus does is he takes his words, the second greatest commandment, when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he takes his words, which we call the golden rule, when he said, love others as you want to be loved. And now he makes it like he ratchets up the whole thing. He makes it way more difficult but way more powerful in its expression. He's saying it's not just enough to love others as you want to be loved. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you to walk through life loving others as I have loved you. Love I have loved you. The standard is not how I want to be loved. Oh, I thought that was it all this time. No, it's not. But it's how Jesus has loved me. And that's why scholars call this the platinum rule. (laughs) The platinum rule. It's not just the golden rule. This is the, plat- this is the big dog rule. Do unto others as I have done to you. Now, the standard for love is just the love he's shown us. And when we truly understand that, when we truly comprehend it, when we truly embrace it, what that does, folks, is that just, it invokes in us this supernatural sense of God's love that can't be held back. That can't be held back. When I understand how much he loves me, it invokes in me this supernatural love that just can't be held back. And I'm compelled, the Bible says, to love others. I'm compelled to love them. 
And when we love in sacrificial ways like he loves us, what we're doing is we're affirming that we're in relationship with him, that we've received that gift. 1 John 3 says it this way. This is how we know that we love what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 1 John 4.10 says, this is love, not that he, we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. So this is how we know what love is. It's the definition of love from the Bible. The love that Jesus showed when he went to the cross to die our, for our penalty, for our pain, I mean, for our sin, he died for that there. And now, golly, he's calling us to have the same sacrificial love with others. The same sacrificial love with others. And when we do that, I'm reflecting the love he has for us. Okay, third idea is this. I learned to love by displaying my relationship with Jesus. By displaying my relationship with Jesus. So that people see him because of the way I love. And that's the whole idea. Two ideas here. One is that as I love God, and I know, as I know God and I love God, I'm worshiping him. I'm in relationship with him. I'm in his presence. I sense his love. And then now as I'm in, that causes me then, because of being in relationship to him, to then go out to others. And then want to be able to share that love with them, to not hold it into myself, but be willing to give. He says this, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, underline this, if you love one another. If you love one another. So the defining characteristics given by Jesus Christ on the last night before he went to the cross, the defining characteristic is to be the way we love one another that we love each other. See, Jesus is saying that the way people know, will know who I am in him. So the way people know who I am in him will not be the good intentions I have, will not be the knowledge that I've accumulated about God, and that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 8, not by the doctrines or the teachings I say I believe, not by how much I do for God and his church, and not even by how often I attend church. All these things are wonderful. All these things are good. But the way people will know who we are, the way people will be able to experience God's love is by watching the way we love one another. That's why this is so important. That's why this is the foundation for everything else we're going to say over the next nine weeks after this. When you love one another, it shows people who you are. You are a son or daughter of the Most High God. You're in relationship with him, continuing, ongoing, learning more and more about what that means. And you're willing to step into the messy spots where you're going to go into a situation that looks so difficult and so hard. And you're willing to say, I'm going to love right now as I've been called to love, sacrificially as Jesus loves me. And when I do that, this is what it says happens in 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So when Jesus came and he walked around on the earth, he said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember that? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus revealed God physically, physically. 
And he ultimately then revealed how much God loves us physically. But since Jesus is no longer here on this earth, then how is God made visible physically today? How is it? By the way we treat one another. By the way we love one another. So when we as a church love one another, this is crazy. When we as a church love one another, we make God who is unseen seen. We make God who is unseen seen. We make the spiritual God. I don't know about you, but I didn't see God this morning anywhere. But I saw some people who expressed love to me. And in that expression of love to me, I saw a physical God. The unseen was seen. Our love is evidence for the love we have with God and is established in our hearts. So here's the bottom line, okay? The bottom line is this. You want to write this down. We are commanded to love one another because when love is shown, when love is shown, God is seen and people are changed. When love is shown, God is seen and people are changed. When love is shown, God is seen and people are changed. Okay, you want to say that with me? When love is shown, God is seen people are changed. Let's do it again. When love is shown, God is seen, people are changed. That's it. That's what this series is all about. When love is shown, God is seen, and people are changed. Boy, what that does is it takes me off the pressure seat of thinking it's up to me to change anyone. It's not up to me to change anyone. That's what God does, and he does it through us. I want to tell you a story now. I just love how the times worked out today that I actually have time to tell you this story. Uh, but I want to tell you the story. So, by a man by the name of Dave Reaver. Dave was in the Vietnam War, and he was a riverboat, riverboat gunner in that war. And there was a firefight with the enemy, and Dave picked up a white phosphorus grenade, white phosphorus hand grenade, to throw it. And as he pulled it back, about to the position right here, there was a sniper on the Vietnamese army that in trying to shoot him in the head, missed and hit the grenade when it was about right here, uh, causing that grenade to explode. Now, when white phosphorus grenades burn, they burn at extremely high temperatures. And he was burned over 90% of his body. His face was severely disfigured with no hope of it ever being really repaired. Well, somehow he got off the field, I and mean, that was a miracle in itself, and that he was taken from there to a hospital in Texas, and he was put onto a ward that was known by the other soldiers as death row, as death row, because if you ended up on that ward, the chances of your survival were very slim. As Dave tells a story one day while lying in the burn unit, the burn victim in the next bed was told that his wife was there to see him. So Dave heard as the, step, the steps of the wife as she walked down the hallway and she walked across the linoleum of their room and she goes over to the bed of this fellow burn victim and gasps in horror about what she saw, about what was left of her husband. And as he tells the story, she immediately took her wedding ring off and put it on the stand next to him 
and said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I cannot live with you looking the way you do. And she turned and click, 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 walked out of the room. And Dave said that the, his fellow bunkmate there sobbed physically for the next two days. And then days after that, died. He died. So Dave steeled himself when he heard that it was time for his wife to come to visit. His wife's name is Brenda. So once again, he hears the same footsteps as she comes down the hallway, and he closed his eyes about what was about to happen and her reaction. He heard the door open. He heard the same click, click, click across the linoleum as she comes to the bed. He, she stops at the bed. He was in such bad condition that she literally had to pull the chart up to make sure it was her husband because she didn't recognize him. Now, one sidelight here, Brenda is a follower of Jesus Christ. And as she was looking at her husband there, without a word then, she leaned over to Dave and she kissed him on his face where his lips should have been. Then she said this, her words, I want you to open your eyes and look at me, Dave. I told you that I love you and I will always love you and I mean it. And I'm never leaving you. So let's get you well and let's get out of here. And then because she also has a great sense of humor, she said this, frankly, Dave, in this way, I mean, this is an improvement in some way. <laughs> Isn't that an incredible story of love? That day in the burn unit, Dave's wife acted in love toward him. Well, that changed Dave's whole outlook on life. In fact, her outlook, outlook was the difference between him giving up and dying and pressing on and surviving. And ultimately, her love for him made God's love for him more visible for him than ever. As she put God's love on display for him, he was transformed as he saw, saw God's love for him in a whole new light. And today, Dave travels all over the world speaking about the unconditional love of God and his power. And Dave and Brenda are still together to this day. Here's a picture off of Facebook from this summer. This is on her birthday. He posted this. He wrote this. Happy birthday, Brenda. And then he says to everyone, I celebrate her every day, but especially today. Everyone who knows my story knows I would be lost without her. I love you, Brenda. I love you. See, in that story is a picture of what it means to love one another, to love sacrificial. It's the unconditional love that the living Jesus has for you as well, that he has for you. And that's the kind of love we all want to experience, right? We all want to experience that kind of love, to know, know that no matter what we've done, that no matter how we look, that no matter what's been done to us, that no matter how beautiful we may be, no matter how lovable we are, that we are still worthy of someone knowing us and someone loving us. We are still worthy of that. And folks, we are God with skin on. And our world is full of Dave Reavers who need people with skin to touch them, to be a, a look at them in the eye, a kind word, a sacrificial gesture to show love to them. So I'm going to end with a verse on the bottom of your notes this is my challenge to us as we go through this series. Hebrews 10, 24 says, In response to all he has done for us, 
Let us outdo each other in being helpful and kind to each other and in doing good. Would you underline the word outdo each other? Outdo each other. Now, if we're going to be competitive, this is where we want to be competitive, right? Outdo each other. You want to write this reference down. Romans 12, 10. Romans 12, 10. I'm going to put it on the screens for you right here. Romans 12, 10. It's talking about one of the others that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. But it says this about it. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. What I want us to do every week of this series, I want us to be thinking, I want you to go home and look up the one another's. You can Google this. It's so easy. They're everywhere, all over the internet. You Google these and you say every, what we're going to do for every week is say, I'm going to outdo you at showing love. I'm going to outdo you at showing forgiveness. I'm going to outdo you at showing consideration. I'm going to outdo you at serving. I'm going to outdo you at showing hospitality. I'm going to outdo you because we want to be love with skin on. And we want others to experience that as well. Okay? Let's bow our heads and let's close in a prayer. God, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to hear from you. And Lord, I just thank you for the challenge that Jesus gave. And oh, it's so deep, Father. I just, just barely, I feel like I'm just on the surface. Is what I struggled with even coming this morning. It was just so surfacey. But I just know, Jesus, that, that, you're, that you said the words and I've taught them. And so now I just give the results to you. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help us, each one of us, that we would learn what it means to be God with skin on to our world. Our world is desperate. Not just loneliness, but depression, suicide, lostness, fatigue, discouragement, aging, mental illness, financial difficulties, relational catastrophes, poor decisions, health that's gone south. Help us, God, to know what it means for us. Jesus could only die for the world. Help us to know what it means to be sacrificial to the one. Help us to know what it means to be love with skin on, God with skin on to the one. This week, and I'll be thinking in our minds, I'm outdoing those other people <laughs> at showing love. We thank you, God, for what you want to do in us. I pray for anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, they've never had an opportunity to say yes to him, that today would be the day that you would say, I want to know that kind of love. I want to be known by that. Well, you would just say to him, Jesus, yes, I accept your love for me. I believe you died on the cross on my behalf. And I want to receive your life eternally in me. And I want to follow you. And I want to become one of the one another's with this church. Embracing the love you have for us as we get to connect. As in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.